I think that was the issue all along. What was it? My, uh, I, you know, you'd think I've been doing podcasting for like over a year now, but (laughs) anyways, ready to get into it? Let's do it. Welcome to Money Baggage, a financial literacy podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to spread knowledge about something that affects us all, money. We're your hosts, Joe Franco. And I'm Zave. And we're on an investigation to learn how to strategically deal with our money baggage. We're covering everything from debt to savings to credit cards to buying a house. We're really trying to grow that money mindset. It's our goal to help this next generation when it comes to financial independence. Knowledge is wealth. So let's handle this money baggage. Zave, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about money education, teaching money about kids, right? Teaching money about kids and teaching kids about money. (laughs) So Joe, I have a question. When did you first start learning about money? Okay, so this is like a very vile, I mean, it's like a very descriptive. So my grandparents were basically like our parents growing up and we used to live with them. And I remember one time I was maybe four years old. I used to go to the bathroom by myself and I would, you know, handle the business. I would like wipe and everything. And one day my grandpa comes out of the bathroom with like a used, dirty, like string of toilet paper. And he's like, who use this many tissues for their, you know, <laughs> to wipe themselves? Money doesn't grow on trees. And like, it was disturbing enough to have scarred me for life. And it made me realize like, oh, everything costs money. You shouldn't waste toilet paper. Isn't that a ridiculous memory? And that's like your first money memory ever, huh? <laughs> yes. Well, it was like connecting the dots of like, Money is what you use to buy things. And if you waste things, you will be losing money. Like it just connected the dots for me of like you work to get money. And if you just waste what you spend the money to buy, you're hurting everybody. Sure. I mean, and the dedication for him to grab the toilet paper, that's quite a, that's quite the core memory to start learning about money. (laughs) I mean, my grandparents were very, very hardworking. They would always instill like hardworking values and So that was the early, early days. But then when I was around eight years old and we would help my mom clean, she would give us money. She would be like, "Okay, every time you come clean the office, here's thirty dollars. And that was really what instilled working equals money. And then, you know, you open your high school checking account when you're in high school and then you start accumulating a bit of savings and then you're 18 and you get your own credit card. So that was my money journey, starting from toilet paper to now. (laughs) Did you ever have like a consistent allowance at all? So never had an allowance, but we worked consistently with my mom. So I'm actually very grateful for that. I remember thinking like, wow, kids that get allowances are so spoiled and lucky. Whereas (laughs) we were like lugging, you know, cleaning supplies around the office. But I think it was better for all of us to equate you work hard and you get paid as opposed to like just money coming in every week just because another week has passed. So even now thinking about if I ever have kids, it's like, what can I do to teach them? You need to work hard for your money as opposed to just getting it. And that makes sense. I don't have a four-year-old toilet paper story situation. Um, I think probably one of my earliest memories that I had around money was, I think in third grade, we had like a, shout out to Mr. Hoon, we had a, um, like a class store situation. And so we had a class store and Every kid had a different position in this like government of the class. It was really organized. I don't really remember all of it, but we had like a treasurer and 
a vice president and a president, you got paid every week and you had to do certain things. And then at the end of each quarter, we would have to save up our money. And there was just a crazy sale with like candy and supplies and all that. And I think that was really impactful. I was thinking about it when I was prepping for this episode. And I was like, I think that really helped me out at a really young age to learn about like budgeting and stuff like that. What was your role in the school store operation? <laughs> so it would change every every couple months. I think the highest I ever got was vice president, which made, you know, five bucks of cash <laughs> a week in the, in the student store. But it was it was awesome. This is remember we were talking about like, when do you speak about money? And I mentioned like, I think there should be more programs for young kids and, you know, young adults to have these entrepreneurial experiences, because that's when you start understanding like this is what's going to happen if I invest my time or invest my money and have to buy merchandise for the store. Like, how much do I sell it for? I think that is very hands on and it's a more fun way to learn about money. And I think the biggest thing was you could buy stuff from the student store at any time, but at the end of each quarter, it would be like a crazy big sale. So it kind of started giving you that savings mindset early too. It was awesome. I want to <laughs> be a part of that program. Go Mr. Hoon. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Hoon. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Hoon. Do you remember like learning about like personal finances in school at all? I can't say that I do. I do remember there was a summer there was like, you know, going spring into summer, there was this time. I don't even know why this started, but people would sell string on the playground, like string to make bracelets. I vividly remember thinking, okay, I have 75 cents. I'll buy three color strings. I'll make bracelets and sell them for a dollar and make 25 cents of a profit. It's genius. <laughs> that's how. And then if it was like custom ordered, it would be a dollar fifty. So that's how I started understanding like, oh, you can buy and invest in materials, spend some time creating, you know, something, either a good or a service and sell it. You know, there's that lunch money feeling where some kids have a lot of lunch money and others don't. So I think you start learning about money very young, whether you're doing something entrepreneurial like making bracelets or being the vice president of the school store or <laughs> you're just noticing who comes in with lunch money and who doesn't. Totally. You can always tell which kids are going to be like entrepreneurs because there's always the ones that are like selling some goods and services on the playground, right? <laughs> Me. Okay. So I had like a little bit of both though. I feel like I learned a little bit in school, but then I didn't have an allowance like you, but it was very incentivized. If I wanted to go to the movies with my friends, I had to clean the kitchen and then they would give me 10 bucks to go to the movies. Or if I had a couple of sports games coming up, they would say, hey, 20 bucks if you have a good game, which I think helped. So no allowance for me either, but I had the money when I needed it if I did the things that I needed to do. Right. So there was some correlation of you need to earn this. 100%. And I think that's the root of more mature relationship with money. It's like, you need to earn this money. But then there's the extreme other side of it where it's like, they say you shouldn't work so hard if you can work smart. Because I think my childhood taught me that you need to work hard. Like I need to be lugging a vacuum up the stairs for it to count. <laughs> and then as you get older and you're like, oh no, there's investment opportunities and there's a smarter way to save money where you can start seeing your money work for you. That's the shift that I had to make as an adult. And I'm just curious for everybody out there, this is a great opportunity for you to slide up into my DMs at Joe underscore Franco. 
let us know, and we'll talk about this on the show. How did you first start learning about money? Was it based on an allowance? And how does it shape how you feel about money today? Or was it like super hard work, you know, avoiding taking more than three sheets of toilet paper every time you go to the bathroom? Because <laughs> literally every time I'm like, oh, grandpa, he's going to come back and yell at me. So what does it look like in the landscape of the states, Zay? Because I know you did some research. Totally. So there was this survey done and people were asked if they think, who's the most responsible for teaching kids about finances? Is it schools? Is it families? 83% of U.S. adults said that parents are the most responsible for educating their children on the topic of personal finances. So most people think it's up to the parents. It's huge. Yeah. I just think it's a little unfair. Like if your kids are going to school and you're paying taxes for them to go to a good school system or in, you know, in other extreme cases, they're going to private school. Financial literacy is like a pillar in how to become a a well-rounded human being. And it shouldn't be something that's so subjective of like, if you're born into a household where the parent doesn't have much financial literacy, that the kid is going to inherit that lack of knowledge as well, which is the case today. Oh, that's such a good point. It just makes history repeat itself in the cases that, yeah, financial literacy just isn't the main topic, you know? Oh my goodness. That's a big number though. So most people think parents are the most responsible. And I think to some extent, the parents should be somewhat responsible. I think in a perfect world, it's a little bit of both. Don't you think? Yeah. I think they should work in conjunction with one another. Like there should be every year, it doesn't matter how old you are, like starting from as soon as you can speak, like this understanding of we're building something, right? Investment of time, investment of energy, how that returns, whether that's, you know, building better relationships or learning skills. We don't get taught that in school because the way our school system works is very much study because you have a test, get the answers right. And that's what matters. It's not this like heavily emotionally intelligent system where you get rewarded for the journey or you get rewarded for progressing and practicing. Whereas, you know, the school store example or the entrepreneurship example, those are all very much you're in it and you're rewarded for the process. Because even if you have a bad day at sales, for instance, like if I don't sell any bracelets, I still know that ultimately I'm building something, right? Financial literacy for as it relates to children, young adults, it's more of like a mental endurance lesson. And it's not so like, get the answers right and you'll pass the test because that's not how the real world works. If I had a dollar, (laughs) I'm just thinking about all the math classes I took when I was younger, like geometry and long division, (laughs) like sure, good things to know, but not really useful in today's life. And I just, I feel like there's this number, right, where kids, if they start learning something at a much younger age, it's way easier for them to pick it up in the long run. I know it's like the same with like languages and stuff like that. What do you think is a good age to start teaching financial literacy? I mean, as early as a kid has the ability to speak and express itself, right? And Mm -hmm. it's neuroplasticity. When you're younger, your brain is just more of a sponge. And so me understanding what it is to work as an eight-year-old, while, of course, that's not exactly the best when it comes to their child labor laws for a reason. I'm not saying like, make your kids work. My mom wasn't overworking us. It was just like, I want you to see what it is, what reality is. This is our reality. And I'll reward you for it. And to me, as an eight-year-old, like to think that I've been working for as many years as I have, like two decades plus two years is insane. I don't feel bad if I have to work. 
I love it. I actually love working. Because the benefit's on the way. Exactly. So maybe it, it wasn't, for us, it was a survival mentality. We had to do those things. We had to clean offices and stuff. But I think examples like Mr. Hoon's experiment with you guys <laughs> and similar. I it had was really so cool. Yeah. I had an experience with my school store in the high school that I went to. I opened the school store like I talked about before. That was transformative for me because it gave me the pilot's seat. I saw the effects of my decisions and not just on a financial level, but like collaborating with people and getting people excited. Like it's just more than just money. I have another question for you. You obviously like you learned how to work. You learned the money situation. Did your family, were they pretty open about the household finances? No. And that's the thing too. This is where 83% of adults that people say should be teaching their kids. It's like, I don't know. I think money is still too sensitive of a topic for the parents or guardians to open up the purse strings and being like, hey, here's what it is. We knew we had to work hard. That was the extent of our knowledge. And there's a problem there too, because you don't have a why. We knew mm -hmm. because it was like, we have to work hard because we're immigrants. And that was it. So you're not understanding, like, we have to work hard to save money to buy this house because it's an investment and then we can sell the house and then we could double the money. Like we didn't learn about it with that causal why. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like you wish you kind of had more eye on the on the big picture? Because I, I kind of go back and forth with it where you don't want to stress your kids out about paying the electric bills and the Wi-Fi and buying a house and stuff like that. But it's also good for them to start learning about why we're working so hard to make this money, to put it somewhere else. So I go kind of back and forth about it. And, and same, I didn't really, they didn't really talk to me about what was going on financially, which I'm grateful for, I think. Yeah, because you get to be a kid. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about it today, because it's not an easy topic. What I do see too often is like, kids go to college and they get thrown out into the real world and they have no notion of anything financially because it just wasn't talked about because they were so guarded. And then they end up making, you know, not as financially sound decisions as they could be making. So pros and cons to everything. I think as we've stated before, a moderate approach, like everything in moderation is <laughs> ideal. So of those people that were surveyed, 15% of parents said they spoke with their children more than once a week about household finances. 13% said once a week, 16% said once a month, 24% said that they talked to their children less often than once a month, and 31% said they never talked to their kids about the household finances. I feel like my parents didn't never talk about it. It just wasn't frequent. So you were a part of the 31%? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Which, I mean, it's the highest percent here, so it makes sense. But I don't know. It's a tricky one for me. I think about like the toilet paper example and then other examples like, Joanna, don't leave the house lights on. Like you're, you're burning money. So it was always from a scarcity mindset, which... As we do this podcast, I unpack my money baggage on the air. But it's <laughs> it's true that my earliest memories or educational moments of money came from money is not good. Like we're wasting money, right? It was never like invest in this skill, invest in this, you know, object that's going to return until later, I guess later in life, it was like invest hours and you get paid X amount of money, which again is fine. It's a good way to look at it, but it's not the way that wealthy people stay wealthy. Because if you have to count the hours you're awake and that is what your salary 
is going to be equal to you will never have enough because you won't have enough time. What is always finite is time, right? So anyways, yes, I'm having a moment of like, damn, all my educational moments were from scarcity. It was never about investments and making your money work smarter. So when did that kind of transition happen for you where you started thinking about investing in you know, yourself and other things and transitioning from scarcity mindset to just, I guess it's really just like the next level of that money education, you could say. I think it was when I went to college and I had to sign off on those loans. I was thinking about that this morning because every few years, there's a big decision you have to make financially, at least for me. It's like, am I going to buy this thing or am I going to invest in this strategy? When I went to college, I had no guarantee that I was ever going to make that money back. But for some reason in my gut, I was like, no, I'm going to make this make sense. I'm going to make this $75,000 degree, you know, work for me. And then I did. And I think that was the first time that I noticed that you could put money towards something and then it yields much more than what you put in, even if you don't have the exact roadmap of how it's going to happen. I don't advise it, but it's what we're all doing, getting college loans. <laughs> totally. I mean, if there's anything that's going to push you into learning more about finance, it's when things get real and you go into big time debt for college. I think that'll really push you into the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking up a few stats too, and I found that 75% of American teens do not feel confident when it comes to their personal finance. 75%? Jeez. I mean, I definitely, when I was a teenager, I was in that too. I was probably so lost. Oh my gosh, 75%, huh? And that's like freshman in college is too, like 17, 18 year olds, like 19, you're in college then. Exactly. It should just be a part of the curriculum. If you could give advice to teen Zave with your present knowledge, what would it be? <laughs> um, to start saving, I think that's probably one of the biggest things. I just didn't really save. I didn't really have a good grasp on the concept of saving or investing at all. So probably probably start saving. Put your money in the bank, put your money in a high yield savings account, whatever. I think that's probably the biggest one because I went to college with nothing. What about you? It would be, yes, put your money in a high yield savings account for sure. But then also read as many books as possible about it and, and make your own opinion of finances. Reading books about finances is what leveled up my knowledge. And that only happened in like 2019, 2020. When the pandemic hit, I remember thinking I had already been investing and I had already been like looking at what's happening with my money. But I always had this hunger for the knowledge. And it only happened in 2020 where I got tons of amazing financial literacy books. And I learned about all of these concepts from high yield savings accounts to consolidating your credit cards and and all of that. Everything before that, I was doing just with my own instinct, which luckily my instincts were good, but instincts will only get you so far. And there's so much knowledge on the internet and, you know, in bookstores and libraries where you can learn from the greats, from people who have billions of dollars invested. And so, yeah, it would be just get into the knowledge piece of it. Knowledge is power. I, you're completely right. It sounds like most of your, you know, learnings and money was outside of school. Did you learn any beneficial things in college then about finance, personal finance, any? No. And I went to business school. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't learn any of this. It's crazy. I really didn't learn personal finance. I took accounting and quantitative business analysis. But even in those classes, it's so high level that it's not digested for your everyday money 
you know, decisions. For sure. I think a lot of the classes I took were kind of business focused rather than personal finance focused. So I learned a little bit, I think, on the business side of things, but it didn't really benefit me personally with my finances. How are we just, you know, going out there like it's the wild, wild west when it comes to our finances? (laughs) It's nuts. They're just like, hey, good luck. Good luck. So, okay. Fact number one here. As of 2022, 22.7% of high school students in the U.S. have guaranteed access to personal finance courses. Okay. And it jumped from 16% in 2018, which is great, but not good enough. Not even one quarter of this country has access. Yeah, like, wow. And even then, I, I bet that it's like not in the curriculum as much as it is like an extracurricular club, which people probably won't find as engaging as if it's like mandatory. I am putting this out there in the universe. I'm manifesting some money mindset. I want schools in the next five years to have a mandatory personal finance, you know, course or project starting as young as 12 years old. Because I just think that it's such a missed opportunity. We need it. All 50 states, we need it. It's so crazy. I feel like, and there's kids nowadays that probably want to get into this. There's parents that want their kids to start learning and they know they don't have the means or the resources to teach their kids and they want them to, and they're just not able to right now. You know what else I want to highlight here is like, again, if you come from a family with money, this is going to be dinner conversation. Mm -hmm. You're going to be talking about day trading and investments. Like I have a few friends who come from money and they learn to invest at a very young age. So it perpetuates the wealth gap. It creates a bigger divide because if your parents have money, they will make sure you as their child understands what money is, how to make it work for you. And you're going to be investing very young in comparison to people who don't come from money, whose parents never talk about money, partially because money's a source of pain in a lot of households. So then you're experience as a child with money is never going to be like, oh yeah, this is something that's amazing. It's always going to be like, no more than four sheets of toilet paper, turn the lights (laughs) off, you're wasting money, you know, versus, oh yeah, if I invest in stocks starting at 12 years old with the money that I got for Christmas, I can buy my own Mercedes when I'm 16, which is a true story of a friend of mine. Wow. (laughs) I know it's, yeah, it's insane. And we're moving in the right direction, which is a good thing, but you're totally right. It's kind of just, it's breeding generations to stay in that same lane that their family and family before them are in and just keep it pushing. Like the challenge, I think the challenge is regardless of what your money education was as a child, it's up to us to do the research before we have kids or while we have children learn the things we never learned and instill those values in our kids. Because if we just continue to turn a blind eye and be ignorant, then it just continues to compound through our kids and their kids. And it's like, we can break these patterns of financial ignorance by just opening (laughs) some books and creating some fun and engaging activities for our kids. And I think that's the challenge. That's going to be the challenge for our generation. Totally. So, okay, college not great. <laughs> what kind of things are you doing nowadays that you you understand what's going on, you know, a little bit deeper now? What kind of things are you doing to keep learning? Because it's a forever changing industry. Yeah, it's like money hygiene. It's hygiene. Like it's the same thing I look at, like when I learn languages, it's never just, oh yeah, I learned it. I'm fluent. No, it's like, it's a continuous activity. It's a habit. So right now I talk to my advisor frequently 
I look at my money all the time. I'm always speaking to my accountant and my bookkeeper. Like just yesterday, I was doing all of the, you know, analysis of profit and loss and looking at my finances, but also listening to podcasts. I listen to podcasts about the market every day. I send you a bunch. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) I think being in tune with the news is also really important because the news affects our economy and our economy obviously affects how much you buy bananas for or eggs in the grocery store. So it all trickles down. So I think I approach it from a micro level of what's going on in my bank accounts, but also a macro level, what's going on in the world, What does this mean for us as a nation and our economy? And yeah, just moving things around to give myself as much security as I can. How about you? Totally. I mean, same podcasts. I've been trying to just like subscribe to newsletters a lot more too. I think one of the biggest things is knowing how you're going to learn. Does that like video, reading, hearing a podcast, whatever is really important because I feel like sometimes I'll read something, not really retain much, but then I'll watch a YouTube video on it and be like, oh. I got it. So I've been watching a lot of videos lately just because it helps me kind of retain the information a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. It's like number one thing about learning anything. Learn how you learn. Because everyone's different. Everyone is different. Yeah. And the good news is there's so much content in all formats. I know. It's the best time to learn about money. I mean, it's scary, though, because there's a lot more just as many good sources are that there are. There's just as many like sketchy ones that are biased or are trying to get information out of you. So yeah, some money advice that I was given that I think is solid is like, if it sounds like it's too good to be true, it probably is like, yeah, this is not following blogs that are like, get rich quick with your side hustles. It's like, The ones that are not as sexy, the ones that are like, invest over the course of your 40 years. And this is what it's going to do. It's it's a long term game. And it's not even a game. It's it's your lifetime. This episode is just shedding light on how starting with your financial literacy as young as possible matters, because the sooner you know what's happening, that relationship begins to develop and mature, just like any other relationship. It's a relationship that we have with our money mindset. And the sooner you learn, the better. sooner you learn, the sooner you can start unpacking your money baggage like we're doing right now and we can all figure it out. What about at Hightower? Are there any pieces of advice that Hightower suggests? Because I'm sure that there's so many young kids that are the kids of the clients who have advisors. Totally. So we're putting out content like no other. We're putting out all kinds of things. I mean, I definitely have a big hand in that next gen focus of content. One of them being this Money Baggage podcast. We post on TikTok of just like super basic financial literacy terms. You know, what is a 401k? What is a high yield savings account? Just stuff like that to start getting that next generation because it's just repetition and seeing it and stuff like that is the biggest thing to start to learn, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then do you have any people, because we don't have kids, right? So it's easy for us to say like, it should be the soonest possible. But do you have any people in your life or that you know of who are teaching their kids financial literacy at a young age? Because my sister, my nephew's turning 11 this year. My sister is getting him a debit card that's connected to an app, which is another whole part of this discussion (laughs) we haven't even talked about. Technology is getting so good. So I'm sure that there are so many apps and initiatives based on teaching young kids financial literacy but he has a debit card, right? And then he's now seeing how how his money works. And the minute that he has to control his money, he'll start making 
more conscious decisions as opposed to like, mom, I want this video game. I want this. It's like totally now it's his money. It to an app that's, oh, times are changing. But yes, I was able to sit down with my manager, Lisa Lynch. She has a kid. I think they're eight and five. So they are pretty young. I had a chance to just talk with her and ask her questions about raising a kid. What are we doing to teach them? Allowance, no allowance. Just kind of get her two cents. So Okay, so today we have a very, very special guest, my personal manager, my fearless leader, Lisa Lynch. Lisa, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked. I really appreciate it. So I guess just for starters, for our listeners, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I'm like just a total Midwesterner, I'd say, through and through. <laughs> I was born in the Chicagoland area. I was raised in Michigan. Went to school at University of Michigan in Northwestern. I married a cheesehead from Wisconsin. I really identify as a Midwesterner. I guess that would be one way to get to know me. And then I guess, you know, since this is a money podcast, I'm just going to get it out of the way and talk about my money personality because then maybe that'll help with the rest of our conversation. Totally. I guess before I go there, anything else special about me? One thing, I have an identical twin. I think that's kind of special. You know that. I was thinking about this podcast. I've been thinking a lot about money behaviors since I've been listening to you and Joe. And I've actually like been thinking a lot about my money personality and my kids' money personality. So if you ask me to say a little bit about myself, I'm going to explain that I have some strengths and weaknesses because I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think my money strengths are, first of all, I'm really hardworking. So I'm really industrious. I've been working since the Monday I graduated from college, saving in my 401k. And I've had a job since I was 14. So like never afraid of hard work, never afraid to do the work to earn the money. So that's a strength. And then... I think I'm, you know, I'm really generous. And I think that's a strength because I think in life, I think it's better for the mind and soul to be on the generous side than to be the other way. But sure. that like, what are my flaws as a, my money personality and my, my flaws in my money personality would be that I'm generous. So I love to treat people. I love to treat my family. I love to treat like strangers, just to, like put a smile on their face. It's good, but that can also be a weakness. And I'm like too quick to spend for sure, like compared to other people I know. That's a little bit about me, where I'm from. Oh, and then also important for this podcast, I have worked my entire career, which embarrassingly now is almost 20 years in financial services. So I have a pretty good perspective. I've been working for wealth managers and asset managers the whole time. I know the audience like might not know the difference between the two. Like I don't like I wouldn't blame them. It's kind of confusing just so the audience knows, you know, a wealth manager are the people who kind of advise you on how to manage your money and how to invest it. Whereas the asset managers are the people that are actually investing the money. Like if you put your money in a fund, right? Mm -hmm. The people making the decisions about what bonds and stocks to buy. I just thought I'd make that distinction because it's not, I don't think it's No, that totally. Different. It's I important. Think, and it, it, it took me forever to, to figure it out. Yeah. Totally. It took me longer than I'm proud of. And you are so, so generous. The whole Midwestern nice thing is not a stereotype. It's completely real. So you brought up something that was kind of interesting to me. You said you've been working since you were 14. So was household and personal finances, was it pretty open when you were growing up? Or was it more of a personal thing that you kind of figured out on your own? Or I think it was a personal thing I figured out on my own. My parents were both very frugal. My dad is a CPA and then he was a CFO of a small company. Uh, so by trade and personality, just like tended to be conservative with money. I don't know how my mom got like she is, but you would think <laughs> the woman lived through the Great Depression. She's super frugal. And so a lot of me wanting to start working so young was just like 
they weren't going to like pay for me to do stuff. Like I was going to have to make that money myself. I mean, my parents were very good to me. Like, let me just say that they, they paid for my college. They did so many, because they were so frugal, they were able to do like the big ticket things for us, which I have a lot of respect for. They were able to pay for our college. They paid for my first car, but day to day, like I couldn't be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to the mall. Can I have 20 bucks? No way. Like, sure, sure. <laughs> so I had to, I had to do it myself. But in terms of actually talking about our family's money, how to manage it, we did not. We really didn't. So tell me a little bit, I guess, how you first started learning about, you know, personal finances and budgeting and stuff like that. Cause 14 is pretty young. Yeah. I mean, I was really just thrown into the fire. Like nobody taught me, uh, you know, you just, happened. I didn't have any education in it. My parents never really sat me down. I mean, they certainly told me like credit is bad. I saw through their behavior, saving was good, but they never, we never really talked about it. So it was, you know, actually probably not the right approach, but just thrown into it. Just all of a sudden had money. I didn't have much, you know, when I was 14, I was making, you know, you didn't work many hours, but it was enough to like kind of start learning through experience and start building habits. Some good and some bad, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Most of them bad at that point. <laughs> Did you learn anything in like elementary, high school about personal finances? No? No, nothing. No. I mean, I went to some pretty awesome schools and no, there's nothing about personal finance. I mean, certainly in college, I have a degree in economics. So I learned about, you know, economic theory, the banking system. But when it comes down to actual like personal finances, I never once was really taught about personal finances from the education that I had. Yeah. And, and honestly, I was the same way. Like I, I went to business school and like I took like accounting and econ and stuff like that. And I learned a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter for my day to day, but didn't really learn much in school about personal finances at all. No, same. Gosh, so... The first, I'm sorry that I started working, you know, at, for financial advisors was my first job. And they, I guess they did teach me a little, both through what they were advising clients. On. I mean, their clients were very wealthy, but they, I also, there's also some like really, really great guys I worked for who, you know, really approached me almost like, you know, I could have been their kid and would, you know, advise me, put away your money in 401k. Probably the most valuable thing I ever did was like the second I graduated, I've been contributing to a 401k. I, I have to credit them for that. And then they taught me about financing homes, like how to view that, and a really good philosophy on that. So that was really my first like lesson, I think, okay. was from them. And I would have been 22, you know, 23. I have to ask, what was that first job when you were 14? Oh, I worked for Boston Market. <laughs> They're still around. Okay. A fast food sort of like home cooking restaurant. You're, well, you're from out west. Do you know what a Boston Market is? Uh, no, I've never heard of it, but... <laughs> Hopefully some of your audience. Well, I only worked like, you know, let's just call it like eight hours a week, but it was, it, it was a very good experience even at that age too. It also brought me in touch with other people that I would never have met inside of my bubble. So that was sure. a good experience. And so, okay. You have two kids. How old are your kids again? Eight and six. So third grade and kindergarten. And I mean, that's pretty early still in school. Do you know if they're like in their classes or are they learning any type of basic financial literacy? Not really. No, but I, you know, I think they might have a class at the, at like maybe in middle school and certainly in high school. I do think our school district has kind of caught on that this is something that would be really valuable to provide. So later on, they should get it. Sure. And I guess a scale of like one to, I let you know how much the mortgage costs a month. How like open are you about like your uh, household finances to your kids, which I feel like they're pretty young. So probably not, not too open, right? 
No, not too open. But you know what, Xavier, like being on this podcast has made me think I should be more open. I think as a parent, I'm always trying to shield them from like having to think like an adult because being a kid is so precious. And I just want them to have fun. But like, you know, even like, you know, we went to Costa Rica. That was really expensive. <laughs> right, right. But, and it, but for them, it's just uninhibited joy, right? Because they don't have to worry about the cost. Like it goes, like no matter how much money I have, like I'm going to have anxiety about spending that much money on a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like trying to shield them from that. But it was probably a good lesson to teach them, which is really special. Like this is how much it costs. And this is like how much of our annual, in- like I think I should have done it. So I'm glad I'm on this podcast because it's really making me think. Totally. And that's fair. I think there's probably a balance there where like, I didn't always know when my parents were like struggling. But yeah, if if you never know what's going on in the day to day, you might just be kind of numb to it when you're when you're growing up. So what's your take on like allowances? I think they're good. I think teaching kids to be rewarded for hard work is a good lesson to teach. I never had an allowance. Oh my gosh, no way. But I, (laughs) I think it could be really good. I don't do it yet. But I think I probably will. Uh, well, on the other hand, I also think kids need to learn to do chores just because they are contributing to the success of the family, right? Like, and that is something I do already say, like, if, you know, my kids can be so lazy, like, go get me my water bottle. And like, no, I need you to go do this. Like, or, that's kind <laughs> of example, like, go clean your room. Like, you're part of this family. Like, you, you need to keep your room clean. That's part of keeping this house looking good. It's your responsibility <laughs> as a family member. I'm not thinking of good examples, but like, I really like that sort of approach. Well, you know, (laughs) it could turn into go clean your room. And then they're like, well, if you give me five bucks, I'll go clean my room. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's you're walking a fine line, but I do think I'll do an allowance. I do think for them to just start earning their own money, no matter how little it is. And like decision around whether to save spend would be good. So I'll probably do it pretty soon. And so is there anything that you're kind of doing nowadays while they're so young to kind of start giving them that exposure to like personal finance and teaching them? Yeah, not enough. Like I said, I feel like I'm shielding them and I'm like, take everything on for them. I need to pass along some of the burden to them. But we have started, they both have these little like money safes and their grandma gives them tons of money. Like, I mean, not tons of money, but just like card for like every holiday. It's like Memorial Day and they get like a card. So that's where most of their money comes from, like a few other places. So we put the money in the bank, their little bank. And then like, there's this whole thing where we go to Target, like they want to buy toys. So I have taught them like, okay, like you can bring some of your money, but here are the things that you won't be able to do if you spend that money. I've also tried, like if there's something they really, really want and they've worked hard for it, the concept of like splitting the bill, like I will pay for some of it, but you need to pay for some of it too. This is, you know, a cost mm-hmm. to our family. And it's just funny how personality impacts the type of behavior you have. They're, two, they're both from, you know, me and my husband raised the same and they have completely different money personalities. So, how so? the eight-year-old girl is like a hoarder. The six-year-old boy is a spender. He like depleted his bank on Target toys recently. <laughs> <laughs> We had to have a talk about like spending habits already. <laughs> he has no qualms about spending his money. My daughter is very careful with her money. She'll even be careful with our money, even though I haven't put that burden on them. We'll be shopping for something and she'll say, no, I don't think you should get that one. That's too expensive. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it, She hears me say things like it's expensive or not. 
but the the kind of just an innate part of her personality to be more conservative like that. Like I didn't teach her that. That's that's her. Sure. <laughs> okay, so you. You're pretty like self-taught. It sounds like you like you didn't have like not much from family, not much from school, but you figured it out. Is there anything that, you know, you wish you would have learned earlier that, you know, now, like if you could go back in time to talk to 14 year old Lisa, is there anything you would give her advice on? First of all, credit. I, I This is like embarrassing to share, but like I was offered a credit card at college my freshman year and I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like it's like a piece of plastic and I just like spend on it. This is great. And I overspent. And then the bill came home to my parents' house and I got in a lot of trouble. And they were like, what are you thinking? Like, <laughs> you can't pay this bill right now. You're going to pay interest on this. So I had to, they paid it for me and then I worked it off. So that was like learning the hard way where I think, I think like credit is something that we really need to teach because like the fact that money is so digital now and like the buy now, pay later. It's like, you gotta be really careful with that. And so I would teach the young Lisa that lesson. I hope to teach my kids that lesson. And then like the one good thing I did was just like, again, saving in my 401k, taking advantage of tax-free growth, taking advantage of company matches. You know, I've got a pretty big retirement nest egg, but it, and it didn't feel like I was having to do anything for it because you just get used to it coming right out of your check. You don't feel it. So I think that was so incredibly valuable. I would reiterate that to the young Lisa. Sure. Teach that to my kids. Mm-hmm. And I guess for any beginners that are just trying to get some kind of exposure, what kind of places would you recommend like, you know, finance for dummies. Where would you start looking? Oh, geez, that's a hard one. The like, Money Baggage Podcast. <laughs> the Money Baggage Podcast. I think that, like, I have so much respect. I'm not just saying this because I work for a financial planning company. I have so much respect for financial advisors. They have so access to so many resources. Like, I would reach out to your parents' financial advisor. Reach out to a financial advisor if they don't have one. Chances are they themselves or the company they work for have like a great curriculum, like it's gotten like a lot more popular now to offer financial literacy. I also think like, yeah, there's courses online, but I would reach out to a financial advisor. That might sound silly, but like they could point you in the right direction. What about you, Zave? Have you had any good? Yeah. I mean, I think my exposure here has just been working at Hightower. It's just like, I mean, you're obviously head of content here at Hightower. So you write pieces and all stuff like that. Just reading everything you put out has helped me and asking the questions that I once thought would be stupid questions and realizing that most people have these questions too and they have to be asked if you want to get make any progress I think is probably one of the biggest things that I've I've been learning and hey this is it's a journey and I'm I'm very much just starting it but it's been good yeah I feel like if you can teach yourself about credit and budgeting you're like almost <laughs> and save retirement <laughs> you're almost all the way where you need to be and I think that is like that content is out there and I wouldn't hesitate to like think, think of how happy like your parents or your parents' financial advisor or your financial advisor would be like, Hey, I want to teach myself about money management. Do you have anything for me? They would like love it. And they'll help, mm-hmm. it, you know, totally. So do you think that, you know, some type of financial literacy or personal finance course should be required in schools? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think ultimately, I mean, I think it's my responsibility as a parent to teach it. I don't think a school curriculum can do the job that's needed to be done. I think that kids, they're with me. They see my behavior. 
I know them better. And I just told you two kids, completely different money behaviors. I kind of have to approach the conversations differently with them to kind of customize the curriculum with them in a way that a school, well, maybe with AI, the school get good at doing that. But I think it, this, I see the school's part as being complementary to what parents need to do, not a substitute. Sure. Because the one you're like, well, hey, you should maybe, you know, think about saving a little bit more. And then the other's like, hey, maybe you should treat yourself sometime, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the same principles you teach to both, no matter how. But it, I do have to have like sort of different conversations with them. Awesome. Well, I think that's about it. Thank you so, so much, Elisa. I really appreciate your time for being on our podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Zabe. You know, I, I'll take any excuse to talk about my kids. <laughs> Shout out to Lisa. Shout out to Lisa. (laughs) Any last words when it comes to money education for the youngins out there, Zave? Just read your books. Like Joe said, read your books. Start a bracelet business in in elementary school if you can, if you won't get in trouble. Um. (laughs) I know, right? I'm surprised I didn't get like suspended for that. Like a little Joe, the entrepreneur, coming in with like a briefcase of bracelets. Like she's a visionary. What do you mean? (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'm going to invest in this book because it's going to teach me new patterns and then I could sell it for $2. Literally nothing has changed. (laughs) You know what a young age you really do. (laughs) I love it. And also I want to say that entrepreneurship is not one size fits all as far as visuals are concerned. I remember growing up and thinking like I needed to have straight hair and wear pantsuits and, you know, be fair skin, for lack of a better explanation. Like I didn't see many entrepreneurial women who looked like me, brown skin, curly hair, you know, very much a colorful personality. I didn't see that in the business world. So I never even said to myself, yeah, that's what I want to be. It took years for me to realize like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur no matter what, like since the playground to the screen, to wherever I go. But I I want that to be very clear for everybody listening, like entrepreneurship and this financial literacy, it's not reserved for a specific kind of person. It's for all of us. And it's important for all of us to be in tune with it. Joe, such a good way to end it. I completely feel you. Same way in the finance industry, curls and color people. Let's go, Joe. Let's Let's go. Curls and color, gotta get your melanin and money. That's like our spinoff podcast, Melanin Money. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) It's actually not bad. Anyways, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Money Baggage, a podcast brought to you by Hightower Advisors to bring financial literacy to everyone listening. Don't forget to give us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. Slide into Joe's DMs. We want to hear some questions. We'll get them answered. We also want to know when you first started learning about money. Yes, my handle is at Joe underscore Franco. Let us know if you're liking this podcast. We love to see your messages and comments. And we will be back next week with some more goodness to unpack all this money baggage. We'll see you there. This podcast is a simulation and is for educational purposes only. Joe Franco is presenting the information in this podcast in her capacity as a consultant to Hightower Holding LLC and its affiliates and subsidiaries and not as an actual client of Hightower Advisors LLC. The material provided in this podcast is prepared and researched by its author and does not service as an endorsement or a reflection of the views of Hightower Holding LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower does not make any representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of the information contained herein. 
Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FNIRA SIPC.